What's up guys, Rishi here. Welcome to the Tech Talk Podcast. Today our guest is Jason Wiman. He is a game developer and writer who loves to teach others how to build their own games. He has spent his career working on all types of games. Now he spent most of his time running the site unity3d.college where he regularly writes and talks about game development. Also, Jason created six VR games which he released on the Steam platform. Those games have been linked in the description. Hi Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. How's it going? Very good. I'm going to make sure you're getting the best audio possible. Awesome. You have a six-week course where you give one-on-one input on the creation of a game. Can you describe that course? Oh, sure. So the um, the course is kind of meant to take people from almost no experience or beginning level experience up to using good design patterns and good architecture in their game, but also all covering all of the fundamentals. Like the the goal of that course is really just to bring people up who just started out with Unity or they've been using it for a year or two and they really want to just get better. So I, what what we do is go through building a couple different games, introducing a bunch of different systems and just different design patterns and things that you normally don't do or see too much of in just game development. That's comes more from web and enterprise development experience that I've had with just good patterns and uh, you're trying to get intermediate developers and take them to the advanced level right that, that's the goal yeah M- make developers better at it just make their code better make their projects better and make it easier for them to get things actually completed and, and I've run a bunch of people through these courses over the last two years and it's just been a great experience just watching people learn and teaching people how to how to make games and watching people just kind of make a, a jump from non-development jobs um, or other types of development jobs into the game industry. So I, I've really enjoyed doing it and I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. Great. And it's not just uh, theory, it's also practical. I found that you teach how to make uh, two 3D games and one 2D game, right? Correct, yeah. To start off with a 2D game to really give a little bit more time to hammer in the coding fundamentals, but then I've also found that it works out well for the people who already have the fundamentals down, because while they're not learning that, they're learning a lot of the nuances of the 2D system and the 2D components that people don't generally get much exposure to. And I try to mix in other things like uh, camera controllers and timeline and all that stuff at the same time so that the the more experienced developers are getting something out of it. And then after we finish the 2D game, it starts to get a lot more complicated, start diving into multiplayer games and first-person, third-person games and switching back and forth and all that stuff. Cool. Multiplayer and also VR. You experience a bit about VR there? Yeah, yeah. So I've done a bunch of VR development personally. So one of the parts of the course is a little extension where you just go on to build VR games. Um, it's all cross-platform stuff, so it's for mobile or desktop VR. And that was more of just 
something that I thought was pretty interesting and a lot of other people seem to be wanting to learn about in that we just take, um, well, we do a couple of different things. We do some VR-specific little apps and then uh, also extend one of the 3D games out into just a, a VR shooter. Yeah, that's about it, but it's it's a lot of fun building in VR in general. I, I Like I mentioned, I built, I think, released six or seven VR games now, and I just think it's an awesome platform, and it's a great place to kind of get in because the requirements, well, while the hardware requirements are relatively high for PC VR, the game requirements, the interesting, aren't that high, but you can make a relatively simple game and still enjoy it and still have your friends enjoy it. So it works out really well for people that are learning and going through the course because they can then build games that their friends and family will actually play or that if they spend a little bit of time on, they can sell on Steam or other places and that makes money. Actually, with VR games, you can build a 3D game and then you just convert it into a VR game afterwards by tweaking it a bit. Is that right? Um, it's pretty close. The biggest difference is the input systems. So you can easily replace the camera and just look through in VR in just about any game. So if you wanted to play, like, you know, if, if you have the code to just about any Unity or Unreal game and you wanted to enable VR mode, you definitely could. You can convert any game into being able to see it in VR. The harder part is generally getting that input system so that the game is actually playable in VR. So you have to you know, replace the WASD or whatever the controls are with some sort of VR movement system, assuming you have movement, which could be like trackpad locomotion or teleportation, or there are a couple of different types of locomotion you can set up. But you also have to update and redo UI elements, things like that. If you have a flat UI that won't just show on the headset, you actually have to place something in the world that's kind of visible and that they can look at. It can be attached to their head so that it moves around like a, like a helmet camera or a HUD but um, you can't just have it like flat on the screen. So there are a couple things that you have to change. I said the biggest one is probably the input systems, figuring out how you're going to move, how they're going to control the game uh, when they're not playing with the mouse and keyboard, and getting that all working, and then getting that working and testing it can be a little bit tedious, take some time, but it's a lot of fun. Cool. And you mentioned you developed six or seven VR titles, right? Yeah. And how was your experience on that? It was great. I mean, I to be honest, I started making VR games somewhat accidentally. The first one was just going to be a tutorial video. I got a HTC Vive for free, a, a pre-version to do some development on. Nice. And I was planning just to write some simple game tutorials to show other people how to make VR games. When I was doing that, though, the first one that I made was just home run derby simulator, simple little baseball thing. You hit hit the baseballs and try to get home runs. And uh, I was letting people play it to test it out, especially my wife, and everybody seemed to be just having a lot of fun playing it, and there wasn't anything like that available. This was before, uh, before the VR headsets had actually launched, so I just decided why not just turn it into a game. So I spent an extra week and polished it up, polished up my little demo into a game, and it turned into a relatively successful VR title that's had many thousands of sales and been doing great. So that kind of spurred on the idea that, hey, maybe I could make some more of these and 
kind of what happened. Just started pumping them out, um, started up a studio, made some more games, and had a lot of fun doing it. Cool. You have your own game studio. Yeah, well, I'm no longer part of that studio anymore, so we broke it up um, well, uh, a few months ago, maybe, I guess it was about a year ago. And since then, I've been still doing some VR stuff, but it's mostly been uh, contract work. After building a bunch of VR games, like the excitement of building and releasing more of them kind of died down a bit. So I've been mostly working on uh, larger scale MMO projects and some contracting stuff instead, which is a bit of VR stuff and then mostly just teaching. What are your most used resources or websites as a game developer? Obviously, the first thing is just Google. I mean, that's, I think, the, the answer for most people that are doing development. If you have a very specific problem, I jump straight over to Google. Uh, Stack Overflow is, of course, another huge one. And then for game development specifically, the other place that I really like look often is Reddit. So I love to browse through the Unity 3D, the Unity 2D, and the game dev subreddits, just looking for new ideas, um, new systems, new things that people have come up with. So like if I'm just in the mood to find out something or learn something random, that's, that's generally where I'll go because there's that big supply of constantly changing just new posts there, and there's always something that'll kind of intrigue me and interest me and kind of make me want to learn more. So that's probably the number one place for that. Uh, if, Like I said, if it's a specific problem, though, it's usually Google or Stack Overflow or uh, Google leading to Stack Overflow or the Unity Answer site. Good. Yeah, it's an amazing site. It's just so helpful like in game development and non-game stuff. Yeah, pretty much used it for years and loved it. A lot of people in the audience want to start their own business in the educational sector. Can you tell us how you started Unity3D.college? It all happened because a friend at a meetup recommended I listen to a podcast, and it was this Entreprogrammers podcast. I'll send you the. And then I was listening to that, just kind of driving around, driving back and forth to work when I was working at uh, Qualcomm their podcast. Uh, so anyway, I was listening to their, their podcast, and one of the things that they kept mentioning was just starting a blog, basically to improve their career and get, get better job offers and make money. I was like, oh, whatever, maybe I'll try that out. So eventually I kind of fell for it, and I, I decided to go for their little $5 blogging book and got that and started a little blog on that site. Um, the original domain was, I forget, something stupid and long that I couldn't, can't even remember now. I started blogging on there. It wasn't, there wasn't really much traffic. It was like two, three people a day would come check out the dumb little articles that I wrote. It, it just, I slowly just kind of kept going at it while I was working on other stuff. It was kind of keeping me interested. And then I stumbled on the domain name with a random email from the domain name provider that said that there were .college domains for 88 cents. And I was like, oh, let me see what's available. And I happened to search for Unity 3D, and it popped up. And I was like, oh, that seems perfect. So I'm going to take it. Switched it over, and then just kind of while I was working, I was just kind of slowly growing it. Once it was at, like, oh, maybe two, 300 people visiting a day, which took probably close to a year, I noticed that 
some of the other people that I knew were doing YouTube stuff and seeing huge growth. Like uh, one guy had seen, gotten like 100,000 subscribers in a year. And so I, that's when I decided to start doing video stuff. At first it was weird and terrifying and I did a terrible job. But um, eventually you start to get comfortable and like anything else it gets easier. Yeah, it was kind of like the whole process. It's just slowly grown off of that. I also started with blogs and then to YouTube. So it's quite interesting yeah. that uh, you also did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I liked the blogging stuff. It was just very. Um, it took a lot of time, and people didn't seem as interested as they are with the videos. Plus, with the YouTube videos, you get the the benefit of YouTube just pushing the con constantly. People are seeing it without even looking for it. You also have the website unity3d.courses. Yeah. The unity3d.college site has some custom theme stuff on there. And when I tried to set up the course software on there, it was all messed up and I didn't want to break anything. So I just made a separate web page, put a separate domain, host courses on basically. So it's just hosts the actual courses when people join. So it's got like a single plug in there, keeping all of the course content and stuff like that done web development in a, in a couple different shops, I guess. Some that were small or it's just internal stuff. And uh, one, one that had like just tons of scaled out stuff on AWS for shitloads of public traffic. And I've done a lot of desktop C-sharp stuff too. And because you see, C-sharp is really evolving now, especially with .NET Core. So that's another topic in itself. But coming back to Unity, have you seen the open source projects that, especially the FPS sample? Um, I saw it at Unite, but I haven't actually played with it yet. It was one of the things I wanted to try out. Um, it did look pretty cool. I was mostly excited about the networking stuff, and then I learned more about the networking stuff and got less excited because it's really good for a first-person shooter, but I'm not building any first-person shooters, so it doesn't really help. Plus, I think it's going to change a lot from what it's at now to what it finalizes at in 2019. I, I get the sense it'll probably change a decent amount. Yeah. Uh, at least from the talks. It's kind of hard to tell, though. I'm actually waiting till 2019 to actually try it because I know they will change it a lot. It is still quite new. Yeah. They tend to change things a ton until they're released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have any plans to make any new games? Only the right now. I'm mainly just working on this one. Um, here's a new link. It's just a it's a contract job, but it's a friend of mine's game, and it's pretty much the only actual game game I've been working on um, for at least the, la the last couple months. But yeah, that that's the one I'm working on now. It's just a big MMO from some guys who made a, a bunch of other ones. Yeah, it's cool. a fun one to work on, though, because it's got really big systems and lots of code. And most of it's not in mono behavior, so I can actually put unit tests on it, and it's nice. It's just a Windows game right now. Uh, you've been posting videos on design patterns on your YouTube channel. Yeah. You're not making money on that. Right. Not very much, at least. The, the couple cents of YouTube ad revenue, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, that's pretty small. <laughs> but yeah, I just like doing... Those ones are um, are just fun to do, the design pattern ones. Plus, the, there doesn't seem to be a lot of that out there for game stuff. So, 
there's there's at least some demand. A lot of the time when I do those too, what happens is I'll find myself coding, find myself using one of the patterns and kind of realize it and then write it down as the next one to talk about. Is there a favorite or is it depending on the project design sure. pattern? What is your most used? I guess humble object stuff is actually really big in this uh, this one project that I'm using. Probably the biggest. That's in that MMO. And that's mostly to make it so that everything is unit testable. Trying to keep everything off of mono behaviors. It's not actually the case for a lot of the code because I didn't write it all. I'm slowly going through and trying to peel it apart implement that almost everywhere. So it's, it's probably the biggest one. That's definitely the biggest thing, that, at least that I can think of right now. There's probably something else that I'm not thinking of. You do use uh, the extensions or even perhaps uh, existing tools to make your own games? Um, some. I don't usually bring in like any set of extensions. Like uh, I, A couple of my friends have their own little libraries of extensions and code that they've written that they share across other projects and I never really did that. I forgot what I was saying now, <laughs> but I definitely don't have one of those, but it's pretty rare I think that, that I end up pulling things from other projects, except for some extension methods. Okay, I think that's a good practice because I've been using extensions and even templates sometime and this becomes an issue when you have various versions because not all extensions are compatible with the same version of Unity which you're using. Some might oh, be yeah. some might be 2017, some might be 18. In this case I think it's better that you use your own tool, rather your own program. Yeah, I think um I don't know if you saw it too, but they're adding support for the package manager. That, that built-in one to actually pull from NuGet or your own uh, NPM repos. So you'll actually be able to set them up as packages eventually that are versioned and work with, or like tagged to work with specific versions. But when that happens, I might actually try it out, make my own at least little extension method one that can work in different versions. Although I guess it would probably only work in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it works in different versions, but it's only going to be supported in 19. <laughs> so, 19.4. But it might be fun to play with that. Maybe eventually it'll be useful in a couple of years. Yeah, that would be great because in web development already, that is a big thing with NPM and, and .NET Core even has its own package manager. That yeah, is with NuGet. Yeah. NuGet, yes. Totally. I'd love for Unity to be up to that level. I'd also love for the the integration with the editors to be a little bit better. I'm, I just switched to using Rider like two weeks ago, uh, the JetBrains editor, which is pretty good. I was having a lot of problems with Visual Studio slowing down. Yeah, and the, the Rider one's trying to get used to it still. But uh, the one thing I'd like to be able to do is run the damn unit tests in there without going to Unity. I'm supposed to be able to do it, but I haven't figured out how to get it to work yet. Visual Studio is very slow, especially with Unity. Visual Studio, even Enterprise or Professional. What I had to do at some point was to go to Visual Studio Code, but I have also switched to JetBrains now, and it's much better. Yeah. yeah you know what's funny is uh, with Visual Studio, it got worse when I installed Enterprise. Like I installed Enterprise because I wanted to try out one of the code mapping things, and then everything seemed. it felt like everything slowed down even more. 
It was really weird. It, it, like, it didn't used to be slow either. I don't know what happened. It just like seems like it slowed down over time. Yeah, Ry- Ryder and I saw it. I love the, uh, the recommendations it made. So I've been using expression body methods and properties everywhere. And <laughs> code's looking much cleaner. Nice. And you can use that even for web development, right? If you're using, for example, MVC or .NET. Uh, I believe so, yeah. I haven't done it with web stuff. Um, I've been wanting to try it out with WPF stuff, too, because I have one WPF project, but I don't know if it'll actually open it, and I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> I should probably give that a shot and see if it has a, a XAML support. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can do web and just Windows stuff in here. Time. A lot of people recommended it, and I just kind of kept ignoring it until Visual Studio froze up on me too many times, and it snapped. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try this writer thing out. And, yeah, then I found out I love it. Nice. That will be all for this podcast, and I was really happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Like I said, if you ever want to talk again, just send me a message. All right, good talking to you. Thanks again. Same here.